welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hi, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutz, and we appreciate you watching the show today. Uh, we have a very special show, uh, uh, just a great man. He is a Texas Agricultural Commissioner for the great state of Texas. He's a horseman, a rancher, an entrepreneur, and and uh, I've been following him a long time, and, and uh, I appreciate him taking time to be on the show. Everybody, Commissioner Sid Miller. <laughs> Good to be with you, Scott. Oh, man, I'm just tickled to death. I'm so excited for people to get to know you and everything you do for the state and, and for agriculture in general. Well, it's it's an honor to get to do it. And, uh, uh, you know, I make a real job out of it. It's just not a political position for me. I tell everybody, say, I'm your ag commissioner today. I'm going to be your ag commissioner tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be your ag commissioner next week. And I'm, if you keep reelecting me, I'll be your ag commissioner next year and the year after that. So we, we work at it. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's that's why I think so many people love you and follow you and, and uh are so glad you are because that's a big deal, you know. And and uh well let's talk about you. You know, let's talk about growing up. I know you're a eighth generation former rancher and, and that's that's a big deal. You know, I'm a fifth and my daughter's a sixth, so we're trying to catch up, but Well, my family came to the United States in seventeen hundred, came from Ireland, we began Farming and ranching, of course, 95 percent, Scott, of the people that came at that time period were homesteaders. So 95 percent mm. of us were farmers. Uh, now it's about 2 percent. So we kind of dwindled down a little bit. A little bit. But anyway, after four generations of farming North, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, uh, we ended up in Texas around the turn of the century after, after the Civil War. So we been here ever since. We settled in Comanche County, Texas, in the northern part of the county. I grew up on a uh, farm on uh, Flat Creek, which is a tributary of uh, the Leon River. And we grew uh, maize, or milo as we call it today, and, and peanuts. We had hogs, we had chickens, of course we had goats. Uh, in that time it was hair goats, mohair goats. Uh, uh, we, of course we had beef cattle, raised horses. You kind of my my granddad and my dad's theory was you need to be diversified because yeah. in, in in ag culture you got about twelve things going, you know six of them are a flop, you know five of them are just okay, and maybe two of them will make a little money. So you just <laughs> got to try lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah, that's so true. And everybody's looking for those two things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I love that. So did you know, like growing up? You want to, you do so much giving back, you know, and leading the state. Is that something you kind of always thought about, or is it just something that you just naturally attriculated to? Being as a young kid, I, I, you know, I didn't think, you know, actually, when I was a young kid, I had two ambitions. I couldn't decide if I wanted to be an Indian chief or a sumo wrestler. I thought those <laughs> would be the two <laughs> most cool <laughs> occupations you could have. I didn't, of course, I didn't make either one. Yeah, but we grew up. We grew up there in the country. We didn't have a telephone. We built our own phone line in the town. Uh, that's how far out we were. Of course, I grew up on Flat Creek. We had coon hounds and cane poles, you know, to fish. And, and uh, my, I had an older brother. There's five of us. Older brother, and I'm the second. So one day, my, my, my father and older brother, they're going to teach me to swim. 
Well, we go down to Flat Creek, and there's a deep hole called the Blue Hole. So they, they take me down the Blue Hole, and they just pick me up and throw me in the deepest end. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh, learning to swim was the easy part. The hard part was getting out, the hard part was getting out of the toe sack. <laughs> oh man I, as soon as you started time i was thinking john wayne hindo he taught him threw him in the water yeah he didn't have a toe sack yeah oh my well, once you get out of that toe sack the swimming part comes pretty natural <laughs> you quick learner yeah oh, what a great way to grow up though you know just being in the country with all those different resources and having a big family like that oh yeah you know what wasn't anything to it you know you'd you'd uh Maybe going to go home with one of your buddies on the weekend, so you'd get on the school bus on Friday with with the twenty two and a box of shells, and just go to go to school and put all that in your locker. And then after school's out, you get it, get get your gun, your ammo, get on the bus, and you know go, go to your buddy's house. So no one yeah. thought anything about it. Isn't that amazing? You amazing. know, it, yeah, it's just it seems like a different world to go. You know, but oh, it, it but, no, it definitely is. They yeah. lock you up. <laughs> Throw away the yeah. key. <laughs> <laughs> quick. Quick with a toe sack. Um, <laughs> so, so growing up, were you around, I mean, I guess horses and livestock as well. I know you said the mohair, but was that something we, you kind of went toward was the horses and the cattle? Well, you know, we, we didn't have hardly any neighbors, no neighbors kids. So we kind of had to make our own fun. My, my first mode of transportation, I guess I was probably two and a half or three. I, I had a pet sheep, and I taught that pet sheep to ride around. I could ride that sheep to the barn and back or where my dad was. It was pretty cool. In the summer, it got didn't work too good. It'd get hot real quick with all that wool yeah. on it. But in the fall and winter, and then I graduated. I got me a really nice rig. Uh, my dad got me a donkey and a cart. So I could <laughs> <laughs> That was my next mode of transportation. <laughs> and I, oh, you're I was moving probably, up. Four or five, six, you know. But time I got six or seven, I had a, I had a horse, and I've had horses there ever since. You know, that's when we started roping and riding and riding, you know, milk pen calves and and you know, calf riding at the rodeos and entering the breakaway roping and the barrel race and so that that was our uh, that was our entertainment. We didn't have TV until uh, I was probably in the second or third grade. So uh, right. fun on the farm. That that was entertainment. Oh man, you didn't need it, you know, growing up like that, you know, um, getting to be around those horses. Do you remember your first horse, the name and what it was like getting it? Yeah, the, the first real horse was Nail. She, she wasn't actually my horse, she was my dad's horse, but uh, she was amazing. Uh, she could run the barrels, uh, just naturally trained herself. Uh, we'd go to the amateur rodeos. My dad would enter me seven or eight years old. I'd win the open barrel race, and then three or four of the girls from our hometown, they would ride her, and we'd all win first, second, third, and fourth on that one mare. They they hated to see my trailer roll up. <laughs> they did. Yeah. They were just donating to the calls whenever you rolled up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it, anyway, it was, competition probably wasn't as tough then as it, it is it is now. It's more specialized, and you know, because oh. this mare, you Dad, dad, uh, trip steers on her and, and rope calves and, you know, work cattle. And she pulled a cart when we headed maize for the sows. I mean, just whatever. They had to do uh, it all. Invaluable. Invaluable. Those horses, yeah. when you find something like that, even today, you know, that's a special deal. 
you know, the one oh, that yeah. can do anything, you know, and those usually never leave the ranch, you know. She never did. She died yeah. right there on the ranch. We got some coats out of her and kind of kept the bloodline going. Awesome. That, that's so wonderful. So wonderful. So what was it like going to school? Um, you know, you have your agriculture, you have your weekends with your friends, but going to school, were you playing sports? Were you studying anything in particular? Well, you know, I really love sports, uh, love baseball, you know, love to play on the all-star team in the summertime at the end. Got, then, because we got to leave town. We got to go to surrounding towns. I, I hardly ever been out of the county. I mean, that was a big deal <laughs> to go to you know someplace else to play ball. So that that was eye-opening. Uh, sure. Football, I kind of got my dauber in the dirt. Uh, I, I got to start when I was a freshman. There's only two of them freshmen made the varsity in this town where I grew up. And then uh, about halfway through, my coach said, hey, Miller, said, where'd you get that belt buckle you're wearing? I said, I won it. He said, where'd you win it? I said, I won it over at the rodeo. He said, what else did you win? I said, I won about 150 bucks. He said, oh, I was afraid of that. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, under UIL rules, you're considered a professional athlete, and I can't put you on the eighth. You can't play varsity sports. I said, really? Mm -hmm. I put you on the B team. So. Anyway, that kind of ended my high school sports because I didn't want to, you know, be a bench warmer or play on the B team. That wasn't very appealing to me. I, you know, I want to be on the A team where the cheerleaders were, where the girls Absolutely. were. Absolutely. <laughs> smart man. Then, the B team on on Thursday night with nobody in the stands. I mean, who who wants to do that? <laughs> no, no, so, no. So I just no, I got to go cast checks. Yeah, I just so I just rodeoed instead and. I think the the year after I gra graduated high school, they they changed that rule, and uh -huh. I think now it's okay to win saddles and buckles and prize money and whatever. Wow! But wow! That, that, well, that, did that lead you to Tarleton? Is that what led and, you to Tarleton? Well, you know, uh, kind of a tragic story. When I was a senior in high school, I just broke my leg in the bull ride, and I couldn't work. And my dad had a horrific accident. Had a, brain surgery, uh, a roping accident, uh, was in a coma for a year, uh, mm. cattle prices were at an all-time high, and the president froze the price of beef, he took the price of beef off, and we had cattle everywhere, because we thought when it, the freeze was lifted that they'd go even higher, they went to nothing. And then there was my dad laying in bed. We had to sell it. We went bankrupt. The bank come and got everything. Uh, even got my mother's car. I mean, we had less than zero. We had lost everything and still we're still in debt. And there was my dad in the hospital bed. My mom got four kids at home to raise. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And I thought, well, I can't work. I've got a bum leg. I can't even go get a job at the gas station you know, to help my mom. So we didn't know what we were going to do. So my ag teacher, of all people, come to me and said, I know you wanted to go to college. I said, yeah, but I don't think that's in the cards now. I don't think I'm going to be able to go. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, let me make a call up here to Cisco Junior College. He said, I may be able to get you a, a scholarship. I said, for what? He said, just hang on. So he called up there, and he got me a, a full academic scholarship. And I'm a B student. I mean, I'm not even on. <laughs> I'm not even. A, 
I'm smart. I mean, things come easy to me. I mean, I could have been an A student, but I, but I, I like fast cars and fast horses and girls and, you know, the Absolutely. dance after the rodeo. I mean, I wasn't into studying. <laughs> that was the last thing. I <laughs> so anyway, he got me a, a scholarship up there to Cisco Junior College. And then uh, had I met my ag teacher, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I definitely wouldn't be the, the ag commissioner. So that, that kind of inspired me. And then through that, uh, I went on, got elected, you know, student body president, class president, kind of kicked that off, went transferred to Tarleton, got married and, and uh, you know, raised a family and started a business and every, everything worked out. Man, isn't that amazing? I, I appreciate you telling me. I'm sorry that happened to your family, but, you know, it's important well, for people to know when your family's going through something that one person can shift the generation again. Yeah, that that my ag teacher changed my life. He really did. Yeah. Golly. And there's a lot of good ones in this state, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know where I'd have been or what direction life would have took me. Uh but I wouldn't have been here today if he hadn't right. saw something in me. Right. And uh believed in me. And uh, you know, went out of his way to help me out. That's awesome. I, I love that. I don't love the story, but I love the outcome. Yeah. You know, and it just took that one person. So, so let's um let's talk about horses right before the break. Um, so as you're going to college, are you kind of thinking you're going to start crafting your entrepreneurship? And because you have so many great businesses, which we're going to talk about in the next segment, is that kind of where you started crafting where you wanted to go in life? Well, you know, in college, I kind of lost interest in rodeoing. Mm -hmm. uh, college was a struggle financially for me. Uh, I didn't, I didn't take out any student loans. I worked my way through school, you know, had to work for what I had. And, uh, those, every time I laid down that entry fee money and, and I didn't win anything, you know, that stung pretty hard. And, and cause I still had, had school to pay for, bills to pay for. And, and, uh, when I went to Tarleton, I just quit, said, I, I'm not rodeoing anymore. I'm, I'm, I've got, you know, we got married when we were a junior. So I just kind of put it on the back ship. Uh, still had horses, still had cattle, and, and was still doing that. But rodeo just was—I uh, didn't do it. And I wrote my next—I wrote my last calf when I was 21. The next one I wrote, I was 47. Football was a big deal here in Stephenville in the late 90s, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the youngest one was a junior. He come in one day and said, "Dad, would you be mad if I didn't play football?" I said. If you're playing football for me, you're playing for the wrong reason. If don't play. I mean, I, you, you do what you want to do. Uh, I'm not, you know, you, what, what do you want to do? He said, well, I'd like to learn to rope calves. I said, you could knock me over the feather. Really? I said, okay. So you know how it is. They want to learn to shoot a bow and arrow, and that lasts about 30 days. And then they want to learn to shoot clay pigeons, and that lasts about 30 days. And then they want to, you know, you, you know, paintball thing something and it's that last you know so i'll tell you what i'll do you get out here on my ranch horse i've got a big pen i bought 10 calves i said when you can cut a calf out and rope all 10 calves in a row without missing we'll talk about building an arena and getting you a, a horse to rope on but you're gonna have to at least stick through it it, it, it was just natural i mean within a week to 10 days you'd cut one out and rope it, cut one out and rope it, cut one out and rope it. 
I said, okay. So anyway, to shorten the story, we started roping and he wasn't getting it one day. And I said, well, just give me that horse. Let me show you, <laughs> you know? And so I got on there and he couldn't figure out how to get off. Well, just watch. So it, it was like riding a bicycle. It's like I just roped yesterday. I mean, it was all just felt good. So I'll run out there and I roped one and I run off the right side and I turned about three cartwheels. Woof, 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 woof. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laying there on the ground going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> trying to get my breath. <laughs> and he, he comes up, puts his hand down. Says, oh, Dad, okay, I think I got it now. I think I got it. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. So, so anyway, we we both started rodeoing, and I've never had so much fun in my life. For the next two years, we went all over the United States together, entering the calf roping, and that, I had a time of my life with my son. That you know, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so that rekindled my desire for roping horses. Of course, that brought about Pearl and all the other great horses that have come through my barn uh, since that time. Oh, I love that stories. I mean, you can't even buy those memories. You know, that's so okay. special. Okay. You got to do that. And yeah. uh, Did you charge him for the show? Uh, no, you know, I'll tell you another funny story, though. So at, after Pearl came along, I mean, that she was kind of like the one everybody judged the other roping horse. She was kind of like the secretary to racing. Is she's kind of the she's kind of the tie down horse to, to, to tie down. So I took her to my first world show and won the world. And uh, the same son, I was so proud. I put that buckle right on my belt. You know, I'd never won a world championship in in the AQHC. I'd never even been to world show. I mean, my first trip, I went it, and there's some good horses there. And uh, so I come in and, and I'm tired and come in the back door and I come in the living room and, and uh, Joseph said, hey, dad, heard you did good. I said, yeah, I did, <laughs> did real good. He said, come over here and lay down on the couch. I said, what? He said, yeah, come over here and lay down on the couch. I said, lay down on the couch? What do you want me to lay down on the couch? He said, I want to see that belt buckle. <laughs> 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 so you go lay on the couch <laughs> so I went and lay down on the couch so, so my belly is flat enough he can see my belt <laughs> oh man you had your hands full didn't you oh yeah, yeah. I love He's it so I love it well we're going to take a quick break and come right back and we want to talk about the cattle business and the landscaping business and maybe a few more horror stories We'll be right back with Commissioner Miller right after this break. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees. 
You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hi, and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen, with the Agricultural Commissioner for the great state of Texas, a horseman, a rancher, entrepreneur, Commissioner Sid Miller. And I'm just loving the stories. I started what listening. I became a viewer of the show as opposed to watching the clock and everything else. I'm just enjoying it. So, <laughs> so uh, let, let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey because you have so many great businesses, the horse business, cattle business, you know, your Lone Oak landscape business. What what started that for you? Is that a mind shift? Because we have so many business people watching. Well, you know, I, I started out with, less than nothing. You know, we talked about, you know, my family. So, so, you know, I, I, I had to take a, a self inventory of what my abilities were, mm. you know, what kind of, what kind of talents had God given me. I've got to make a living. I've got to provide for myself. I've got to put myself through school. Uh, my wife was the same way. So I thought, well, two talents that I have that I can make money with, I know how to break coats. I can do that. Probably get plenty of coats to break. And I know how to shoe horses because I, I, it was my, my dad was World War II veteran, Marine, wounded four times. He's pretty crippled up. He really couldn't stay under a horse very long, but he, he had taught me how to shoe horses. So I said, I can do that and, and go to school and not, not have to hold down a full time job. So. I can ride those coats when I have spare time and I can line up. So I put myself through school and, and uh, through college and also worked some at the sale barns in the ring and uh, was able to come up with a pickup, the gooseneck trailer, which kind of new at that period, believe it or not. They've been around a long, long time now. And I would uh, work the sale barn all day, haul cattle all night, try to get back to class before daylight and then uh, probably sleep through class. You know, <laughs> yeah. Shoe a horse, shoe a horse or two in the afternoon, and ride a coat, and then you know do it again. But it, it was hard work, but but it it got me through college. So that that's my first taste of being self-employed and an entrepreneur. So mm. when I got out of college, I was actually an ag teacher. I was so inspired by that ag teacher that that kind of picked me up as as a stray cat, and you know, and put me back on the right path. Uh, that I said, I, I want to do that. I want to make a difference in some young person's life. And, and I hope I did that for five years and I hope that, that I hope I, I did that. But I always continued to buy and sell and trade cattle and, and run, you know, lease some wheat ground and straighten cattle out and run stockers. And I always had a good mare or two around that I kept bred, young horses that I would train and uh, just kind of grew that operation you know, a little by little over the years until the, it's the operation I've got today where I've got about 45 head of horses and three stallions and, and uh, not, you know, it's not my full-time job, but it's my full-time hobby because I don't have a bass boat. I don't have a Harley Davidson. I've never golfed, yeah. you know. 
I do fly fish. I go about every four or five years, you know, so I'm not an avid fly fisherman. I do, you pace I do like to get, I do like to get to the mountains and, and get away. So started, uh, landscape business, uh, started digging trees myself uh, with the shovel, my head down, my butt up off a place I had leased. I'd, I'd worked at a nursery in uh, here in Stephenville and I, 130 acres. There was five families making a living off 130 acres. I thought, man, I, we can't, we got 6,000 acre lease and we can't make a living off of that. And there's five <laughs> families making a living off 130 acres. That always yeah. appealed to me. That was always in the back of my head. So they taught me how to dig, you know, nursery stocks. So I would dig a few live oaks, red oaks, load them on my trailer. And I'd go to West Texas on the weekend. And shoot. I'd make more money on the weekend selling trees than I did all week as an ag teacher. So that didn't, you know, didn't take a genius to figure that out. So pretty quick, I quit that and started selling trees and bought my own farm and planted nurseries and and, uh, leased more country for cattle and, you know, just grew it. Had uh, put in a couple of gift stores, Christmas, seasonal Christmas stores. Did you really? I would sell that. I had a, a mail order company back when there was mail order companies. Now they're all internet companies, but we, I sold specialty nuts, pecans, peanuts, you know, pistachios, all flavored, you know, chocolate covered and wow. bourbon flavored. And, and we'd do, uh, Christmas gifts for corporations that want to send their clients and stuff like that. And that, that was pretty lucrative. And of course I had trucks and we did trucking and you name it. I've done about all of it. Man, I, I love that. I love that. you. Ha- First off, you had the grit. You know, you didn't start a business and look for someone else to do it. You know, you jumped in and did it. But you, you kind of, it seems like you just kind of found something that would work. And then you just kind of focused on it and worked it. Well, when I, when I started roping calves, I thought, well, I, you know, this is expensive sport. I can't, you know, this is going to pay for itself. So what I did is uh, I would buy roping calves and, and supply the calves to the jackpots and the roads. I'd keep. 100, 120 head of roping calves, fresh calves all the time. So we'd haul those all over <coughs> Texas, New Mexico, to PRCA rodeos, uh, jackpot ropings. You know, they had these big, then the USCRA ropings on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And so, and by buying 100, 125 head of those every month, I'd run, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 yearlings through the winter too. And then I'd, I'd take them all the way to the feedlot, so I'd have sometimes two to 10,000 head of cattle in the feedlot. So I had a lot of stuff going on, you know. Had a lot you of did. stuff. You did. I so like, maybe like somebody watch like How do you compartmentalize, like, all your different businesses you're doing, but you and your family are still so close? And, and you know, how do you organize, I guess, your thoughts to do that? You know, I, I would divide it. In, into segments, allocations. It's kind of like this job I've got now, the mm-hmm. Texas Department of Agriculture. I have 130 separate functions that we're to perform. You just, but you, you can't just, it's just overwhelming. So, so you have to compartmentalize it. You have to put somebody in charge. You got to, you got to have confidence in them and, you know, and, and just, you know, I just hit the high points. I just make sure everything's moving, that nothing stops moving. It stops right. moving. That's a problem, and that's kind of the way in my business. I've started mentioned a few. I've, I've, I've started a lot more businesses than that, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's been good. But you do have to learn to delegate. That's a 
that's the hardest thing for a lot of people is learning yeah. to delegate. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you got to hire right, you know, and that's that's tough, you know, and and then to put your trust in someone because that's your that's your name, that's your brand. Well, here, here's here's my philosophy on hiring right. I always hire people smarter than me and let them tell me what I need to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. I got a line of them. (laughs) Oh man. So what was, do you, so I'm going to ask you, this might be hard. Like what's your favorite child, but what was your favorite business? Do you have a favorite one or do they kind of all kind of balance you? Do you need them all? There's no doubt about it. Uh, It's the horses. Yeah, uh, definitely the horses, and, and 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 I'm a kind of a uh, oddball out here. There's no one that really, I don't really don't know anyone that has an operation like what I've got. There's mm-hmm. some that have it in the cutting horse industry. There's a lot of them that have it in the racing horse industry, but in the calf horse industry, I don't know of anyone that's doing what I'm doing. And I've been doing it for so many generations that I've I've got that calf horse uh, bred into my herd right so i'll pick a mare it, it may be uh, a bloodline that was uh, it, uh a bloodline that carried joe beaver to the nfr or drove schneeberger uh he had a great horse called touchdown so i buy mares of that bloodline i've got mares out of patty's irish whiskey that have carried champions uh near and far i've, I've got uh Bloodlines of Pearl, who carried, you know, that's my main bloodline. Carried Cody O, the 16 gold round wins and two PRCA horses of the year. and Carried me to three world championships at the AQHA world. So I picked good mares that have produced or, or the bloodlines have produced top calf horses. And then I breed to my three stallions, which are all world champions themselves, multiple world champions. So on my place, I have bred, raised, broke, trained, and shown myself 25 world champions that come out of my bar. Wow. And that's, and that's, that's in uh, three, four different breeds. That's quarter horse paint, buckskin, and Appaloosa. So uh, no one else that I know no, uh, no. does that, does that. No, so it's it's kind no. of a, a real focused thing for me, and I research it, and I think we've got the results to prove that that we we know what we're doing. Heck yeah, what a testament! I mean, that's a long way from the donkey in the cart, you it know. Dog, <laughs> yeah, no. and I know how hard that is. You know, I've been, I grew up in the business. My dad was a calf roper, and I know how hard it is. What do you think about with the breakaway roping now for all the ladies out there? You know, they're roping one eight, one nine, two one. I mean, so quick. Is that kind of helping with what you're doing as far as the calf roping horses? Oh, it's great for me. I mean, it's been great for my horse. But my horses are bred to start and stop real quick. On there both, you go. Both ends, start and stop. You know, so that, they're the these horses I'm raising are the perfect breakaway horses. They're perfect tie down. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've had horses at the NFR not only in the tie down. And the breakaway, but also in the in the team roping and the barrel race. So they're they're just good performance horses. Period. They're at they're athletes. Absolutely. Well, hopefully one day the breakaway will be in there as well, and you'll have another one in that category. 
That'd be oh. kind of cool. Yeah, and I think it's headed that way for sure. I'll tell you what, that sport is blown up as far as with the uh, breakaway ropers. Oh, I'm I'm glad to see it. I, I really am. Really glad to see it. Yeah, they, they've even too. added an op- open breakaway at the AQHA. Good uh, this time, so it's even it's even spreading to the breed associations. They've you know, that's so good. Amateur. They've always had it in the amateur, but there's actually an open division now. That's awesome. I mean, it's so good for the industry from the truck sales to the trailer sales to feed and horn, but to your business as well. You know, it's it's a it's sure. a shot we all Definitely. need it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be on the final segment. Just a little bit more information and maybe a word of encouragement from uh, Commissioner Miller. We'll be right back on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at CowboyEntrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knutson, here with Commissioner Miller of the great state of Texas. And we were telling horse stories and, and just entrepreneur stories. But right now, I'd like to talk about the future of agriculture. And what do you what do you see as far as the future of agriculture? Maybe not just in the state of Texas, but across the country. Well, uh, under this administration, we're facing some very tough times. We're doing a lot mm-hmm. of stupid things as a country. Uh, no, no, number one, we've, we've got to stop selling our farmland to our enemies like China. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the stupidest thing we do is allow China to buy our farmland and put up wind farms and give them access to our grid and, and spot, you know, build these things right next to our military bases and, and uh, you know, spy on our military secrets and allow them to be the Smithville Foods, for instance, Scott, is the largest pork producer in the nation and the, the largest uh, pork processor in the nation, and they're owned by the Chinese. It's just not smart. Absolutely mm-hmm. stupid. Yeah. So the next thing that this, this really uh, uh, bothered me is uh, these new livestock mRNA vaccines. We yeah. just went through the human mRNA back the COVID all the research that they told us, come, you know, it's, it's all lies. You can't believe any of it. That's right. uh, I don't know why we need new vaccines in livestock. I've got a vaccine for everything I want to give them, and they work just fine. So, and there's research out there, but then again, I don't, I don't trust the research. So we've got that to deal with. 
I think the most dangerous thing facing agriculture, facing the oil and gas industry, facing mining, facing timber, and a whole host of others, <clears throat> Biden in his first week of office, he instituted his 30 by 30 plan. Mm. You don't know what that is. He wants to idle 30% of our land, take it out of production by the year 2030. Now, that's an area bigger than the Louisiana Purchase. And that means completely out of production, shut down agriculture, oil and gas, mining, timber, any any related sources. And, and they're well on the way to do that. So uh, no one's talking about it. The media is not talking about it. I'm talking about it. You probably have seen in the news, they're also doing this in Europe, but Europe's a little farther along than we are. The European Union decided to do this. <clears throat> and a friend of mine, Robert Roos, he's in the European Parliament. He came to see me back in June. He's from the Netherlands, Scott. He said in the Netherlands, first thing they did was outlaw nitrogen fertilizer. You can no longer use nitrogen fertilizer. Next thing they did was nationalize half of the farmland, took it away from from the farmers, uh, made them get rid of half their livestock. You think we're generational farmers? Some of those European farmers, far, they've been in centuries in the same family. Right. He told me that every twelve days in the Netherlands, a farmer commits suicide oh. because of. So uh, they have revolted over there against their government. The farmers revolted. Just they had a rebellion. Uh, I think their leader, their parliament leader, had been in there 30 years. I think they threw him out. Uh, Sri Lanka outlawed any type of commercial fertilizer. The people are starving over there. Ireland just about two months ago put out a, a directive for their farmers to get rid of 50% of their livestock. So it's real. We're not seeing those headlines over here. It's a global initiative to lower the population of the planet. If they can control the food, they can control the people. So I'm fighting real hard on that. One more thing. I know I'm going on here. It's been pet peeve of mine for a long time. And uh, the two highest occupations for suicide in this nation are veterans and farmers, farmers and ranchers. Yes, you sir. might say, well, why is that? Well, let's say you're the eighth generation on this cotton farm. You've just missed your third crop. The bank's calling all your notes. You don't know what to do. You're responsible for the family legacy. It looks like you're the one that's going to lose it all. What do you do? Well, typical farmer, we're very proud. We're independent. We're kind of introverts for the most part. We stay out on the farm on the tractor 12, 14 hours a day. We don't socialize a lot because we don't have time. We're certainly not going to ask anybody for help. We're too proud. So I came up, and it's 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 not a typical suicide hotline. I call mm -hmm. it my agri-stress helpline. I wish I had the number in front of me. I don't. It's easy to find. Just just Google agri-stress helpline or go to we'll texasagriculture.gov. Maybe y'all can, for, for the show, you can put it on the screen. Yes, sir. The, dif the difference in my hotline and the 988 suicide hotline is I have this man 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when you call that hotline, the person that answers it 
guess what? Understands agriculture. Understands what resources are available to farmers that can reach the farmers, whether it be a financial assistance that might be available to a farmer, might be some way to extend his loan through the Farmer's Home Administration, or it might be medical help, or, you know, all these things that a regular suicide hotline, you may get a call center in India or somewhere. But but these people are, have been farmers. They understand it. They're trained how to help somebody in agriculture. So if you'd help me get that word out uh, to yes, your sir. listeners, maybe we can save somebody's life. We've already Absolutely. saved over four. Yeah, we've already saved over 70. So I've got it. It's up and running here in Texas. The, the number will work in any state. I've got a total of six states doing it. We need more states to join. Uh, it's cheaper the more states join, but more importantly, it helps get the word out. The The biggest struggle is, is getting the word out. So you, you can help us get Absolutely. the word out. That'd be our Thank honor you. to, for sure. Yes, sir. I yeah. appreciate you doing that. And, you know, those stats, it's so sad. But, you know, the, the stories we've talked about and you've shared, the industry is so great. There's so many wonderful entrepreneurs. There's so many jobs. And to, to get rid of those jobs and, and generational, you know, just effort, it, it's just heartbreaking for sure. And, and um, you know, I don't, I don't think enough people know what goes into getting your plate full on your dinner table. You've done a great job, but I think a lot of people just don't know. It's, it's hard, you know, it, it starts way before it's sun up and you, you're at the barn working all day. And, and um, just to wipe it away, that's a shame. There's, yeah, there's, there's a, it's a lot different than it used to be. You've, you've got a lot of other uh, technological advances. I, mm-hmm. I call it, I kind of explain it to people like this. I said, agriculture, when we started, you know, back in 1700, it, it was subsistence farming. It was agriculture 1.0. And then came the age of mechanization. Instead of, you know, 40 acres in a mule, it, it was a tractor and a combine and and, you know, one man could farm a section. One man could farm 640 acres, maybe more. And now we're at agriculture 3.0. We're at the age of technology, where technology mm-hmm. takes over. And now we have robotic milkers, and we have drones that fly the field. And, and you know, we have driverless tractors. And, and we have, uh, you know, computers that can know when to spray a weed and when not. And, you know, so we're, we're at... 3.0. So we, we've come a long way, but we, we're probably not finished. We will probably continue to advance because one thing never changes when it comes to farming and ranching. We have to continually produce more with less. That's our challenge. And so far, we've, we've met that. Yeah, I, I love that you said that. And, you know, I think FFA has done a pretty good job, 4-H for sure. And a lot of the inner city, you know, young people and adults even, that want to be in agriculture, maybe they never had the 40 acres or a tractor, but with the drones and with the driverless tractors, there's ways to get in the industry now from the cities. Do you see that? Oh, yeah. You know, and I'll tell people, you want to get involved in agriculture, you don't have to start with a, you know, a half million dollar tractor and, and, you know, a section of land. I said, you can start in your garage. I said, there's a huge market for tropical fish. Just get you some fish tanks start your tropical fish farm, you can sell all you can raise. And, and all you need is a garage and, and a couple of electrical outlets. And you're in business, buddy. And take <laughs> off. There's a number. You can do a, a little truck garden. 
and have a roadside stand. I mean, there's any number of ways. I love that. You know, if, if, if I started, I started from less than nothing, remember? Less right. than nothing. Yes, sir. And if I can make it, surely anybody, anybody should be able to make it. Oh, I love that, man. I love that inspiration. But I think, I, I think people, when they hear agriculture, they don't see that. They see the big tractor and the combine or, or, or you riding a horse, me riding a horse. They don't see the, tr- the, the truck with the, the produce or, or the, the tropical fish. There's so many different avenues. That's what's so great about agriculture. You know, I didn't, you didn't, I didn't start out with a big tractor. It took yeah. me 20 years before I ever bought my first new tractor. Really? I mean, it yeah. was, it was a long, hard road, but I finally got there and finally got one. Yeah. It really was. That, that is so awesome. And, and on, on like the, the state of Texas, like the agricultural sites, how do people find like jobs or ideas or so they can be creative and kind of get excited about working for themselves within our industry? Right. You know, you, you have to you, you have to have the drive and want to. And you, you one of the things that since this is an entrepreneur show, I've, I've learned being an entrepreneur and having to, you know, build all this from the ground up is is you can't when you're growing a business you can't live off the business let me explain that everything you make has to go back into building the business Mm. you can't take everything the business makes live off of it and expect your business to grow you've got to have another side gig like like most farmers and ranchers, you need to have a wife that has a good job in town, <laughs> you know, to pay the bills while you grow your operation. Right. But uh, you, if you're going to grow and be successful, everything that business makes, and at least in the early stages, you got to pour it back into the business and grow that business. Right. And the more you do that, the faster and bigger it'll grow. And then you, at some point, you know, it'll be self-sustaining and you can re- reap the re- rewards. Man, I love that. I, I love that advice. It, well, I, I know we're getting close to the end here. Let's let's hear another horror story. Um, what was it like, um, you know, for you when you saw one of your horses that you raised or bred out there winning? Well, you know, I, I just really enjoy enjoyed going out to the NFR and watching Cody O ride Pearl. You know, that I I get more out of that than me winning some little pumpkin rolling, you know, roping, uh, and just, you know, watch the crowd. It was him and Fred and, you know, they would bring the house down more than the bull riding. It, I mean, that was the two, they would tear up Thomas and Mac and it was, it was exciting to be part of that. Uh, you know, he won 16 go rounds and six trips, you know, do the math on that. That's almost three go rounds on NFR. And won over $2 million on that mare in the PRCA, plus all the match ropings and jackpots and, you know, the, the stuff that I I want a lot on her myself. I, I hauled her a lot before uh, Cody got a hold of her. I was the one that seasoned her and hauled her. I remember when me and my son would travel all over the United States. We'd both ride her, you know. So it, it, it was fun. I, I really, really enjoyed that. So. Those are the best memories. Going to the NFR, watch when you when you have a horse at the NFR uh, that your family bred, trained, broke, raised, hauled, seasoned, you know, right there on your place, and then you see them, they're they're the top of the top. 
uh, that's pretty special. That's absolutely, man. That's absolutely. I, I'm sure you're seeing you and your son hauling him or hauling her and he's riding her and just so many emotions. But, you know, that's that's what's so exciting about our once again, I keep getting passionate about it. But our industry is the memories and the hard work. But once it pays off or once you see that special, the perfect crop or the perfect horse, there's that five minutes you look back and you're just like, that was wonderful. And then it's time to go back to work. Yeah. You know, before we wrap up, since this is an entrepreneur show, I, I want to leave some sage advice to those out there that are they're trying to get a business up and running. Yes, sir. Uh, and I found this out the hard way. There's three things you have to decide to do if you're going to own your own business. Number one, you've got to provide really excellent service. You've got to provide really high quality product and you've got to have a really good cheap price. If you do all three of those, I guarantee you, you will go broke. You can't do all three of those. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> I was, I was hanging on man there for a minute. I'm like, what? In the? <laughs> if, if you have the very best service, right. And you have the very best product, you got to charge for that. Absolutely. You can't be the on the block. That's exactly right? right. Absolutely. You can't do all three. You'll go broke. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's kind of like that hamburger stand down the road. They might be cheaper, but they might be trying to get out of business. And you're just right. chasing them out with it. You know, but so. Just, you you pick two of those three and do them real well and you'll make money. Yeah. Don't try to do all three. You'll go broke. That's, that's what <laughs> I love. That. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Well, how can people follow you? Like, we're going to put all your links and websites and everything up at the show. I know Steve will get that up. But is there a certain website or, or something that you sure. would like most, for people to follow? Most, most people follow me on Facebook. Is my most active. I have over a million followers there. We reach 40 to 50 million people a month. So a lot of information. We post lots of stuff. And that's Facebook slash Miller for Texas. Same thing on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter, or I guess it's called X now, and uh, all, all the other social media sites. Yeah, My it, website is, is, is SidMiller.com. Uh, awesome. SidMiller.com. And it's a great follow. I follow on Facebook and, and LinkedIn, and, and it's just fun. It was fun. I loved how the social media team was incrementally putting up the numbers as you were getting over the million. Oh, and, good. Yeah. yeah, they did just such a great job, and it's a wealth of knowledge, and it's a fun follow too. You know, some days you're laughing, some days you're learning, some days both. Yeah, we we have fun with it. It's, a lot of it's very serious stuff, but we mm -hmm. don't mind laughing and enjoying life too. So, heck yeah, man, that's what it's yeah. all about. Well, Commissioner Miller, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for what you done, you're doing for the state of Texas, and I loved your stories, and I, I can't wait to run into you one day and just sit and drink a cup of coffee and visit some more. Anytime, my friend. God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless. Thank you. Thank you to all the great sponsors of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. If you or your business is interested in being a sponsor of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, please call our office at 830-992-1786 or visit our website, cowboyentrepreneur.com.
Well, I grew up in Comanche County, a little town called DeLeon, Texas. I grew up on Flat Creek, which is a tributary into the Leon River. That's where I learned to fish and hunt. And my had an old, older brother, my daddy taught me to swim. They took me down to the Blue Hole on Flat Creek and just threw me in. And learning to swim wasn't the hard part. It was getting out of the toe sack that was tough. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Agriculture's been in our family a long time. We, we started in 1700. Eight generations of us been farming and ranching. We've been in Texas the last, last four generations. To me, this is, this is a, a real job. Uh, it's a real calling for me. I think now that I look back on it, I didn't know it at the time, but I think, I think the Lord probably been preparing me for this job all my life. And, but I didn't, didn't realize it at the time, but I, I, I realize it now. I am the Ag Commissioner, and that's what I'm going to be today and tomorrow and next day and next year and the year after that, because I really believe in agriculture. It's, you know, it's, it's sustained my family for eight generations, and it's always been the glue that's, that's helped Texas together, even before we had an oil and gas or manufacturing industry. It still does. It's still like the second largest uh, industry in our state. It's over a $100 billion industry. So it deserves some attention, and I'm, I'm going to give it that. We've reorganized the department, made it more efficient. We launched Operation Maverick, where we went out and rounded up uh, people that were operating outside the law, illegal scales. We registered over 7,000 of those. So we, we think we've done some good things for the consumers uh, here, here in, in the state. And I've got some of the best people working for me from my assistant commissioners all the way down to the inspectors out in the field. Most everyone that works at the Department of Agriculture has that same type of attitude. They're there because they love agriculture and they, they love the people that we work with and in the, in the state and the country we serve. <laughs>